0: This morning, uh, Pastor Sheldon is on vacation, a well-deserved vacation, and, and uh, I heard, uh, I listened to the message last week, and, and I heard that uh, he had a couple struggles with, you know, just making sure everything was organized. And uh, just so, he said that he was going to listen to this this afternoon, and so I just want him to know that we have everything completely under control. <laughs> Pastor Sheldon, just enjoy the day, everything is good to go, we got this. Uh, This morning we're going to be continuing our series in the book of Hebrews. And so if you have your Bible, go ahead, grab them. Every week, pastor says, grab your Bible. If you have your electronic device, grab that. One of the things that we say in, uh, in the outlet is bring your Bible classic. And so if you have one of those good old classic ones with the paper inside... Bible classic right there. That's what we call that. So anyhow, we are continuing our series. We are in uh, chapter 7 of Hebrews. And uh, just to give you a quick background for those of you that may not have been here, um, Hebrews is written to—it uh, is in the New Testament, and it is written specifically to Jewish Christians, Jewish Christ followers. And so the writer uh, is writing to a, essentially a group of church people explaining to them the basis of our faith, the basis of what we believe, uh, the base, uh, to, to give us a firm understanding and, uh, and so uh, it's very interesting to me what the writer has to say. Last week, uh pastor talked about uh, at the beginning of, uh, or pardon me, the end of chapter six into chapter seven. And it specifically talks about King Melchizedek. And I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on that this week. Uh, pastor did an excellent job last week explaining that. If you weren't here, uh, go on our website, listen to last week's message. Uh, he does a great job of explaining Who Melchizedek was, but he simply shared just a couple things that I want to make sure to uh, point out, and that is how Melchizedek, who's mentioned in Genesis chapter fourteen in three verses, and that's it. He shows up, and then he's gone, and it's not mentioned again. But what is amazing to me is that every Jew, every Jew had to memorize Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, so every Jew knew who Melchizedek was. So for them, it wasn't unusual that in those, he just shows up and then they, they're not like us who are like, I don't even know who this guy is. They knew. So that's why he spends a lot of time on this. And he says that although Abraham was the father of the Jews, Melchizedek was even better, was even greater And Pastor did a great job explaining that, Um, so I want you to go ahead, listen to the—I'm not going to re-preach it, listen to last week's. Um, So this week, we're going to be looking at chapter 7, starting at verses 11, and going through uh, verse 22. About a month and a half ago, Pastor uh, told me, he he said, hey, I need you to speak on the 9th, and and here's the verses that I want you to speak. I'm like, hey, awesome, I'm looking forward to it, this is going to be great. And then I read it. And I was like, thanks, pastor. This is going to be awesome. Because this is kind of one of those transition kind of parts of the, of, of the book of Hebrews. And so I'm kind of, I was sitting there looking at it. I'm just like, all the good stuff is right before and then right after. Thanks a lot, Pastor. Give me something to work on. So anyhow, I say that kind of uh, and as an anecdote, but then as I started really diving into this passage, there is so much that peels away. And, and when we start looking at it that way, kind of looking at what was the writer trying to communicate to the audience of the time, and understanding, again, that these are Jews, these are church people, that uh, have a great understanding of the Old Testament. And now the writer is trying to explain what Jesus did and why he did what he did. And so, starting in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 11, reading from the New Living Translation, so if it sounds a little bit different from yours, um, that's why. Uh, So, chapter 7, verse 11. So, if the priesthood of Levi, on which the law was based, could have been achieved... Could have achieved the perfection God intended. Why did God need to establish a different priesthood, with a priest in the order of Melchizedek instead of the order of Levi and Aaron? And if the priesthood is changed, the law must also be changed to permit it. For the priest we are talking about belongs to a different tribe whose members have never served at the altar as priests. What I mean is our Lord came from the tribe of Judah, and Moses never mentioned priests coming from that tribe. Verse 15, This change has been made very, has been made very clear since a different priest who is like Melchizedek has appeared. Jesus became a priest not by meeting the physical requirement of belonging to the tribe of Levi, but by the power of life that cannot be destroyed. And the psalmist pointed this out when he prophesied, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Yes, the old requirement about the priesthood was set aside because it was weak and useless. For the law never made anything perfect, but now we have a confidence in a better hope Through which we draw near to God. This new system was established with a solemn oath. Aaron's descendants became priests without such an oath. But there was an oath regarding Jesus, for God said to him, The Lord has taken an oath and will not break his vow. You are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus is the one who guarantees this better covenant with God. This passage does a great job of bridging what pastor shared last week and then what he's going to be sharing next week. And there are some observations that I want to make sure to point out that I want to draw our attention to. And the very first one that the writer explains to us in verse 11, if we look at it just one more time, so if the priesthood of Levi on which the law was based could have achieved the perfection of God that God intended— why did God need to establish a different priesthood with a priest in the order of Melchizedek instead of the order of Aaron, or Levi and Aaron? See, the, what the writer is telling us is, number one, that this new priesthood is superior to the old priesthood. That this new covenant, this new order that God has established through Jesus Christ, it is better than the old one. It is above it. In fact, the old priests, their their intention, God's intention in the old priesthood was to draw attention of us towards God. You see, God set up with Moses and then with his brother Aaron, he set up the priesthood so that people could stop and worship so that their attention could be turned towards God. If you remember your Old Testament stories and your Old Testament history, it was in the middle of the desert. It was after the Jews had left Egypt, had left slavery, had been delivered, that God then says, hey, this is how I want things set up. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to have people that will draw everyone's attention to me. And that's what the priesthood was, the old priesthood. But that wasn't enough. You see, um, the old priesthood, the law draws attention. The Ten Commandments draws our attention to how we are personally imperfect. The Ten Commandments, you remember them. Don't lie, don't steal, don't uh, sleep with your neighbor's wife, don't, you know, make sure you go to church. Um, you know, all those. We, we know those. The law draws attention to how we fail. But the law also draws our attention to the perfection of God. You see, um, when I was, oh, I think probably, man, I think I was 11 or 12. um, I started off getting into vehicles really early. Like my dream car when I was 10, 11 was was Corvette. That was my dream car. And uh, I was foolish, I know, I'm sorry. It's now a Mustang, just saying. So anyhow, um, but I, I started getting into cars early. I, I loved looking at the old cars and, and wishing that I was born, you know, generation before so I could own one of those. But one of the things that my parents did is they gave me, for Christmas, they gave me a model engine. One of those models where you had to put, toge- you know, the little glue and you had to glue the pieces together. And it was a V8 uh, a small block 350 engine. Okay. And so I had to put that thing together and I, you know, I'm putting together, you know, I'm mounting the oil pan on the bottom and I'm putting the pistons together and the rods and I'm the camshafts and all that sort of stuff. So I put together my first engine when I was 11. It was a model. I mean, it was only this big. But the cool thing was, was that it was battery operated. And so when you flick the switch, the pistons went up and down and there's little lights with the spark plugs and all that sort of stuff. And it was really cool. But the thing was, it wasn't a real engine, was it? It was a model. It was something for us to look at and refer to what the real thing is. The Old Testament priesthood is a model. The Old Testament uh, covenants, the law... And the priesthood was intended to model for us what ultimately would be perfected. And that's why the Hebrew writer is saying, listen, if it could have been perfected with Aaron and Levi, then that's all that would have needed to be done, but it's not. That's why this new covenant that Jesus gives us, this Jesus the Christ, is the perfect, it's the actual thing. So what we've been learning about, what we've been longing for, the, 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 the hurts in our souls, the holes that we've been longing to fill with trying to be good enough and do the right things, that has now been perfected in Jesus. And fulfillment and completion and perfection is found in the relationship with Christ. That's what he is saying here. The important thing about the old that we have to understand that is being said in verse 11, is that it was inadequate because it only maintained our attention. It didn't achieve perfection. And to introduce this new priesthood, it would require a revolution. And I looked up what revolution means, and and it's simply this. It's an overthrow. It's a radical and sudden change from what was to what is now. That's a revolution, And the writer says, listen, we need to flip what used to be and look on what is now perfect. Instead of being constantly being reminded of how we are imperfect, we look to Jesus where there is perfection. The Jewish audience, what is interesting about this writer is that the audience that he is writing to they knew who jesus was in fact the the, the the odds are that many of the audience who this writer writes to probably saw jesus themselves if they didn't they probably knew someone who personally saw jesus because jesus had a kind of a, he kind of had a big following he kind of had a lot of things a, a lot of attention And so people, the the audience knew that Jesus had claimed to be the Messiah. And in fact, many of them had accepted him as the Messiah. And the writer is explaining that the foundation of this, this new covenant, that Jesus fulfilled the old. He completed the old and his sacrifice was perfect. The old covenant required a sacrifice. Every time that there was a mistake, every time there was disobedience, every time there was a slight to the law, it required sacrifice. Over and over and over. But the new was completed with one sacrifice. He goes on to say in verse 15, 15 through 19, I want to read this, and we'll take a look at it a little bit more. This change has been made very clear since a different priest, who is like Melchizedek, which everybody knew who he was, has appeared. Jesus became a priest not by meeting the physical requirement of belonging to the tribe of Levi, but by the power of a life that cannot be destroyed. The psalmist pointed this out when he prophesied, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Yes, the old requirement about the priesthood was set aside because it was weak weak and useless. I love this verse. For the law never made anything perfect, but now we have a confidence and a better hope through which we draw near to God. The next thing that he says about the priesthood is that this new priesthood is eternal. It's eternal. The old, the, the old priesthood, the priest died. And so every time that they had a, a priest die, the, the new one had to go through this ceremonial cleansing. He had to go through this process that, that, that made him right, made him righteous in God's eyes as well as in the eyes of the people. There were certain requirements that had to be fulfilled. So imagine this for just a moment. You're going to church, and the only way that you can come back into a right standing with God at this time was to go to the priest who would then take your sacrifice and take it for you. But every time that there was a new priest, you had to wait. Can you imagine, as a Jew, knowing that you had broken one, three? seven of the ten commandments and you're possibly going to be judged for eternity and then you have to wait to ask for forgiveness I would be I'd be like okay I'm not driving my car I'm not walking across the street I'm not eating anything fried I'm going to eat just kale and possibly some chives just to add flavor I am not going to do anything between now and when that priest is finally ready. And then can you imagine the lineup? (laughs) The new priest starts tomorrow. Oh man, I better get in line. It's worse than the new iPhone. They're all in line. They're like, oh, come on. (laughs) You know, they they got all their offerings lined up waiting for that new priest to finally get into office. See, the problem was, was that the old was constantly having to start over and start over. But this new one, God prophesied, God sent a message in Psalm 110, verse 4. He sent this message long before to say that this new priest is going to last forever. In the old way, there was no continuation of what the priest had accomplished. Each new priest had to start back at the beginning. Before he was able to step in, he himself had to be purified. The Hebrews, the audience, either probably had seen firsthand or knew someone who had seen Jesus at the resurrection. And so they understood the sacrifice that Jesus made. They understood that he died, but that he also was raised to life. And in Psalm 110, verse 4, it says this, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest Forever, in the order of Melchizedek. You are a priest forever. In other words, what he has done, what he accomplishes, does not have to start back at zero. We don't have to keep going back to zero. We get to have his fulfillment, his perfection in our lives. In verses 20, through 22. He goes on to say this. This new system was established with a solemn oath. Aaron's descendants became priests without such an oath. But there was an oath regarding Jesus, for God said to him, again, this is Psalm 110, verse 4, the Lord has taken an oath and will not break his vow. You are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus is the one who guarantees this better covenant with God. You see, this new priesthood was introduced by an oath from God. See, God instructed, if we go back and read in Genesis, God instructed, or pardon me, in Exodus, God instructed Moses how the priesthood would be set up. It was instructions. This, was, this is what you do. This is how you do it. Have your brother do this and this and this. And then all of your, all of your brother's uh, sons and grandsons and, and, and so on and so on will be eligible to f- keep doing what I instruct you. They were instructed. It was a model. It was like that little V8 engine, that little plastic thing. It was just a representation of what would come. But in Psalm 110 verse 4, the Lord has sworn, the Lord has made an oath, he has made a promise, and it will not change. He will not change his mind. In Numbers chapter 23, verse 19, it says this, God is not human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? You see, when God makes a, make an oath, When he makes a promise, just figure that it's done. It's done. Jesus, God himself says, listen, this priest that I am establishing through my son, Jesus, he will reign forever. There's no starting over. He doesn't have to keep going back and make the sacrifice again and again. He completes it forever. It is a glorious thing that we, when we really stop and think about it, if God does not go back on his promise, then the priesthood of Jesus is superior to the old one. Because of this oath, Jesus, in verse 22, because of this oath, Jesus is the one who guarantees a better covenant with God. He guarantees it. God does not go back on his promises. Again, the writer is speaking to church people. He's speaking to people who understand the fundamentals, the basics. And he's saying, "Listen. What what you what you do oftentimes is frail what you do to try and be good enough oftentimes falls short and that's the way the old covenant the old priesthood that's the way it was it was a human priest it was human law it was it was humans trying to fulfill god's laws but we're imperfect imperfect and we, the law was constantly, and still today, constantly shows us where we fail. And it's, it's showing us that, you know what, we on our own can't do it. And he's writing to church people, and, and maybe you're here today, and you've been going to church for a long time, and at one point you asked Jesus into your life, but since then you've been trying to do it yourself, You know, I I go to church. I give tithes. I gave to the building fund. I do this. I volunteer. You know, I I don't swear at work. I do in the car on the way home, though. (laughs) See, the thing is, is that it's not about us being good enough. Because when we try to be good enough, It just points out over and over how we're not. Imagine the frustration, and and you maybe have felt this way, frustrated. Because you want to be better, you want to be good, you want to do what is right, and we keep failing. And God says in this passage, he says, listen, that way is inferior, but this way with Jesus Christ is superior Once and for all. Once and for all. Salvation is available for us all. If you're taking notes, I tell you what, even if you're not taking notes, on the back of your bulletin is space. And I want you to do me this this little favor. We're going to try something. For those of you that went um, to the global summit, leadership summit, this Thursday and Friday, forgive me. I'm stealing something from this weekend for those of you that weren't there, this is not mine. It's not original. I'm just modifying it this morning so that it fits with us. Here's what I want you to do. On the left side of your paper or on the left, wherever you have space, I want you to draw a line as long as you can. Okay? Just draw a line. Now, at the top of that line, what I want you to do is I want you to write God and in parentheses, perfect. All right? If God is perfect, how do we feel we are on the line of perfection? Figure here is not perfect. Down here, is, this is imperfect. Okay? I want you to think for just a moment the most holy, the most spiritual person you can think of. Maybe it's somebody famous. Maybe it's a relative. But think of the most... Uh, most spiritual person that you can think of somebody just shout out one name Sheldon (laughs) Sheldon. okay that was for you pastor wherever you're listening I'm going to put you on the line don't laugh out loud because he'll hear this we would probably say that he's he's a very spiritual guy we'd probably say that he would probably I mean he admits it every Sunday that he's imperfect so let's just be nice and put him right there He can't see this. I love this. Somebody else. Most, most spiritual or holy person that you can think of. Just yell out a name. Billy Graham. I love Pastor Sheldon, but I... Let's go Billy Graham right there. Okay? Somebody else. Because we, we all know Billy Graham is, is not perfect, right? We know that. Somebody else. Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa. Ooh, sorry, Billy. (laughs) Pardon? Charles. Charles, Oh, the Wesley brothers. Man, that's a tag team. I'm going to put them right here with Billy, kind of right there. Okay. So now, now, just just thinking about this for a moment. Where would you put yourself? Where would you put yourself? If you were to say, when it comes to God, God being perfect, where would you put yourself? And I want you to mark a line, mark an X where you feel that you fit on this line of perfection. Now, some of you might be like, ha Mother Teresa. <laughs> some of you might be, the, the very next one, Pastor Sheldon. But let's just be honest with ourselves, okay? Let, I, let's, I'm just going to put myself right there. The problem with this is, now that if you draw a line from where you're at and just go straight out, is that there is a gap between the perfection of God and ourselves. And the old priesthood the old covenant, the law. The law was given to show us how imperfect we were. The law was not progressive, like um, honor your father and mother, keep the Sabbath day holy, um, don't lie, don't steal. It's not progressive. The law is this way. So if you break any one of them, where do you start out at? you go right back to the beginning again. And there's an even greater, see, the law proved the gap between us and the perfection of God. And all of us are dealing with this feeling of being separated, of of having this gap between what we know is true about ourselves and what we know is perfect about God. But see, here's the cool thing. The cool thing is this, is that, is that god god jesus who was god who is perfect when he came to us remember we're all down here when he came to us he he fulfilled the law he completes the law he completes the needs for us to be transferred from where we are at to the perfection of God. And see, when God the Father looks at us, he sees in us. When we have asked Jesus to be the leader of our lives, to forgive us of falling short over and over and over and over again, Jesus forgives us. And God looks at us, and he no longer sees our imperfections of us, but he sees the perfection of his Son in us. That is amazing. That is the superiority of the new priesthood. That it's not us. It's God. Imagine this. The Old Testament was, you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do this. The New Covenant was, I did this. I did it. You just need to enjoy now that you are perfected in Christ. I thought I'd get an amen there, but amen. (laughs) (laughs) You see, we are imperfect, but God is perfect, and he has perfectly created the relationship for us to be complete and to be fulfilled, and to have purpose, and to have meaning, and to have relationship with God himself. And this is so much better than trying to fulfill all the different requirements that the old law had. We now just simply ask Jesus to be the Lord of our lives, and we enjoy that relationship. And our decisions reflect that relationship, not the requirements of the old. It's freedom in Christ. And the writer says to Hebrews, to a bunch of, of church people, quit trying to do it yourself. Quit trying to keep going back to the old way. Quit trying to fulfill, uh, you know, the little checkbox in your religion. And start enjoying the relationship. You're here this morning. Maybe today you just walked in and, and your relationship with God... You're over here, somewhere near the bottom. Maybe you've never asked Jesus into your life, but something drew you here today. I want you, to tell, I want you to know that God brought you here. You might have just seen this church on the side of the road. You might have asked people, and they just told you where it was at. You might have looked us up online, but I want you to know that God directed your steps to be here today. Because he wants you to know that his his love for you does not keep requiring over and over and over. His love for you is once and for all. And he loves you so incredibly much that he wants a relationship with you. You see, he sacrificed so that we could enjoy a relationship with him. If you're here this morning and you are You've been a Christian for maybe a long time, or maybe you're you're a newer Christian, but you've been feeling like you need to do more, or you need to be better. I want you to understand this. Yes, we need to make good choices, but we need to enjoy God's grace, God's mercy. And it's not about fulfilling religious requirements. It's about enjoying the relationship through Jesus Christ with our Father, our Father God. If you would bow your heads, close your eyes with me for just a few moments. If I have been speaking to you, if you're here this morning and you have not asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord to be your Savior to be the leader of your life and you're here this morning and you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you want that and you would like to ask Jesus into your life this morning would you just raise your hand I would like to pray with you thank you I see your hand thank you I see your hand thank you anyone else thank you I see it in the back thank you anyone else Thank you, I see your hand. Anyone else? I don't want to miss anyone. I want you to know that God is watching you. He's longing for this time with you. Here's what amazes me, is that God, even though we feel far, God is never far. He promised that he would be with us. And this morning, you raise your hand and you say, I want to ask Jesus to be the leader of my life. I want you to understand something very quickly is that there's not, it's not a formula. It's just honesty. And we're going to pray a prayer. And I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer with me. In fact, to repeat after me, but it has nothing to do with you just saying the words. It has everything to do with you meaning the words. And so I'm going to ask, would you all join me as we pray this prayer? For some of us, this might be a recommitment prayer. For some of us, this might be a very first time prayer. But would you pray this prayer with me, especially if you raise your hand? Dear Jesus, I understand that you love me and you have a plan for my life. I'm tired of trying to do it on my own. I ask you, Jesus, to forgive me of my shortcomings, of my failure, of my sin. I ask you, Jesus, to lead my life now. I commit myself to finding out all that you have for me and becoming the person that you want me to be. I love you, Jesus. I thank you. Amen. In Luke chapter 15. Jesus tells some stories. And he says, over the course of these four stories, he talks about how when when one lost thing is found, there is a celebration in the house. And in fact, at the very end, his fourth story goes on to say this. He says, listen, when the lost come home, we celebrate. Imagine for just a moment, friend, if you raised your hand, if you prayed that prayer for the very first time, God said, shh in heaven. He goes, a lost is coming home. And there's a celebration in heaven for you right now. They're excited about you because you are making a choice to become part of this new relationship with God. And we celebrate your choice but also know this, this is just the beginning. God has so much more for you. For those of you that are here this morning that are that have been attending church maybe a long time ago, maybe years ago, you started a relationship with God, but you would say that there's a gap right now. You'd say, I'm, I'm not actively relying on Christ. This morning, friend, I want, to, I want to remind you what the writer wrote, that the old way of living Trying to do it ourselves is so inferior to what Christ has completed. That we need to start enjoying. We need to start investigating. We need to start growing in the relationship with Jesus Christ himself. And quit trying to do it ourselves. Now that doesn't mean that we do nothing It just means that our decisions, our choices are based on our relationship with Jesus as the leader of our lives. So we don't come to church because we're required to. We don't come to church on Sunday mornings and give in the offering because we're required to. We don't serve in the children's ministry in the nursery because we're required to. We do it because we want to honor our relationship with Jesus. And we want to grow in that relationship with Jesus. And so friend, if you're here this morning and you've been feeling pressure because you're trying to fulfill, you're still over here on the gap side. And maybe we need to just pause for a moment as Christians and ask for forgiveness for trying to do it ourselves. And ask Jesus to transfer us into his perfection and remind us that he did it, he completed it. Would you stand with me as we close in prayer? Heavenly Father, I am here not because of anything that I have done. I am unworthy. I I am. There is a gap, Lord, between your perfection and where i'm at and i know it i realize it i have i i experience that imperfection on a daily basis lord but jesus i thank you that you have fulfilled the law and now i can enjoy without the burden without the heaviness i can enjoy life with you jesus god i want you to lead my life i want you to lead my family i want you to lead me in my work i want you to lead me in my relationships and god i want to enjoy my relationship with you i want to i want to be free i want to i want to experience the greatness that you have not because of me but because of what you fulfilled jesus your perfection What an amazing grace. What an amazing mercy. Father, today as we leave this place, we leave behind the old. We walk away from it and we look forward to this new, this new priesthood, the new order in our lives that has you as king. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for all that you have done in our lives. And now as we leave this place, Lord, would you keep us safe? Would you continue to walk with us? Would you continue to remind us of your love on a daily basis? We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Love you, church. Have a blessed week.